here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Oh, sure. The WWE main roster was pretty bad this week in terms of programming, given Extreme Rules and Raw and SmackDown was a little bit better. But, you know, the real highlight of the main roster this week was that vignette between Aiden English and Lana. I mean, Aiden English killed it on that segment, I thought. Being contrite, taking the blame for the loss, having real remorse. Now, we we don't know how they'll follow up on this. You know, could be just a ruse for Aiden to turn on Rusev, or Rusev could just beat him down, and he and Lana can go on their merry way, and that could end up baby-facing Aiden for a short run. But the fact is, that's one of the better-done segments on the main roster in a long, long time. It had what felt like real emotion. Didn't have Aiden hamming it up too much. And for that, I applaud them, because when you have segments like that, then you have story possibilities. And then you can go in that direction. Bad news for the main roster. Hey, Hulk Hogan's back, kids. And depending on who you believe, his apology was taped for the WWE Network. And if that's true, it's for a redemption special about Hulk Hogan, who can't be redeemed because he never really apologized for what he did. He apologized that we were offended by some of the things he may have said, even though it's on tape with him saying them. Now, kudos to the New Day and Titus O'Neil, because my big fear in all of this was that they were going to tie Hogan to the New Day to make amends, to bring him in as a corporate shill. I don't have any love for Hulk Hogan. It's well known on this podcast. I find him to be vainglorious. I think his presence and his ego helped ruin not one, but two companies worth of wrestling. I think his contributions to wrestling as a whole, in terms of the art of wrestling, aren't that great. He was very important to put them out there in the pop co- popular culture. But in terms of improving wrestling, not so much. I've never been a Hogan fan. I always viewed him as kind of a corporate mascot. I viewed him as a TV product. The WWE was not my wrestling as a youth. But what he did, both on... What he did was to serve Hulk Hogan. In my opinion, this sex tape was supposed to be sold for money. And what happened was they lucked into a lawsuit, which got Hogan even more money. And now Hogan misses the fame that comes along with the money. That's the thing. Everybody thinks he just wants the money. He doesn't. He misses the spotlight. That's why TMZ is called every time he has a thought. Okay? Because he can't handle getting older and not meaning as much to people as he used to. 
Get over it. It happens to all of us. 15 minutes of fame dries up quick. Quicker for some of us than others. Some of us get a second 15 minutes like you did, Hulk. Go be the brand ambassador without having to play up anything about Hulk Hogan. You're now just a working stiff like the rest of us. Take your check, which is probably far larger than most of us will ever see in a work week. Go say nice things in public functions. Perhaps go be contrite about what you did. And maybe, just maybe, there's a place for you in wrestling again. Just so long as you know that the place isn't because of you. Rob McCarran. Breaking news, the rating for Raw is likely to fall at 2.7 or 2.8. Sting versus Flair did a 5-4. Jeff Hawkins. This is a joke. I'm going to kick your butt when I, once I get bail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come after you. You're listening to Shake Them Ropes with Rob McCarran and Jeff Hawkins. There ain't no stopping us now. We celebrate on the floor. Top down, we're ready to go. To all the people across every nation. Turn it up and give me some more. Balloon guy! Shake them ropes, I'm Jeff Hawkins. Uh, let's let's start off with a couple of apologies. I am sorry I've not had a co-host for the last few weeks. Uh, the problem is, your boy, me, uh, since going to this new schedule that I have of normal days, it turns out everybody I want to co-host with does not have normal days. So it's hard to coordinate with people. Also... It's hard to coordinate with people on the East Coast when I'm getting home at 6 or 7. I'm also in this new job. It turns out I've been working like 11-hour days because I'm still new. I barely had time to watch all this WWE, let alone any of the G1, which is spectacular from all accounts. And I've watched one night of it, but I'm working all this time. And then, you know, by the time it comes around to, oh, yeah, I need to record tonight. It's Thursday, or it's Friday, and it's impossible to get anybody at that time. So you're going to be stuck with me for a little bit. I apologize, but you know what? We'll we'll get through it. Rob, no audio from Rob this week either, so you know what? It's, you know, when you need that lifesaver, Rob's the guy who's going to throw you an anvil and send you to the bottom of the lake. But that's Rob, and that's why we love him. So, it was a start out as a bad week in WWE and then got better and better until NXT came out and that was great. So, <laughs> we have to examine what happened here this week. And if you haven't listened to the flagship yet, I highly recommend you listen to Joe and Rich break down Extreme Rules. You can hear my hot takes from right after the show over at Fightful. I did the after show with Sean Rossap and Alex Pawlowski over there. But now that I've had time to digest it, I find that Extreme Rules was much, much worse than I thought it was probably coming off right after the show. 
And it's a problem indicative in WWE storytelling, and we're going to go over that a little bit. Um, I, I think, overall, the problem with Extreme Rules, if you look up and down this card, and I know nobody really liked it. It, it either got thumbs in the middle. I think Bruce Mitchell gave it a thumbs up, but it was kind of a dragon kick, kicking and screaming thumbs up. But the problem with this entire card from top to bottom, if you look at the results, is that there were only two strong wins without any sort of chicanery or any sort of, you know, in other words, two wins that made the people look good. One was on the pre-show, which was Sanity, which has already lost twice on the show of their roster going over the New Day, which was an uber-popular group. Supposedly, in, on the pre-show, you, you shouldn't make the New Day lose overall on the pre-show. Because that's the, that's the match going into your card. That's that's the one that gets them hyped. If you're going to have two matches on the pre-show, babyfaces should go over in the second match. I'm sorry if that's a little bit too pedantic for some people, but look, you want people to go into this show being happy, I think, overall. And then, of course, the Bobby Lashley beating Roman Reigns, which was a pretty good match, despite this crowd not really... <laughs> I mean, this crowd, I, I I don't crowd shame because I don't think you should crowd shame, but this crowd wasn't getting very much, so why should they give a lot? It, it It's remarkable to me that, that people were going to crap on them for counting down during the 30-man Iron Man, or 30-minute Iron Man match, but look, you created this Frankenstein by giving patterned matches and countdown clocks, and and all other sorts of stuff. So, yeah, they amused themselves. And the thing that WWE did that was just stupid was they took the clock down out of fear, thinking that that would, oh, well, this will calm the crowd down. No. No, 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 no. Not in Pittsburgh, people. Come on. Pittsburgh has had a couple Royal Rumbles where the crowd took over. If if you give the mob, if they see blood, they're going after it, kids. So I mean, look, let's let's just go go into it. It's not gonna be a match by match breakdown, but just the finishes of the match. Andrade Cien Almas defeated Sin Cara. Okay, Andrade Cien Almas is your top new star on SmackDown. You bring him in, he has all this hype. He gets heated up on NXT. He's a super act with Zelina Vega. And Zelina has to help him on his second match against Sin Cara. With whom he had a 50-50 match a few nights before. So what do people think of him? Oh, he, he's a guy. Oh, well, he won. But it wasn't a strong win. And and we'll get into the get into his Tuesday as well. What went wrong there? But okay, so you put him on first, when with a half empty stadium because I guess they didn't open on time. You can tell when they say people still filing in. That means they're putting this match on way too early. So you get Sanity and the New Day 
pretty good match, I thought, overall. I thought the spots were great. But Sanity's been cooled down to the point where nobody cares about them. And they get this win, but nobody's really interested in Sanity anymore. I- I'm starting to think you should just keep people undefeated until they lose in a title match. And then you can decide what to do with them. But, you know, what's where's the magic of Sanity right now? Other than the fact that they, they, they eked one out against the New Day because they took advantage of a situation. Not that the New Day needed to look weak, but Sanity hasn't been strong because they've already been pinned clean twice in matches with the New Day. It's ridiculous. The B team defeat the Eater of Worlds or whatever the hell they're calling themselves, Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. Yes, Knocker, pinfall, comedy guys. Now, there's a story you can tell with the B team. You know, uh, a couple of losers who start on a win streak, get get a little confidence, you know, and then become good and competent and a great team. But they're not going to waste their time on that because comedy guys always remain comedy guys for the most part. And, look, these guys are going to get fed to the AOP. I'm fairly certain of that. <laughs> not that the AOP have been treated well up until this point, but, you know, it'll make the AOP look like monsters to beat up the com- two comedy guys. Lather, rinse, repeat. Finn Balor defeated Baron Corbin. Corbin gets 80% of the offense. Finn Balor rolls him up for a cheap banana peel win. How does that help? How does that help Finn Balor? We live in the world where of wrestling where small guys can't beat big, big guys clean. But Baron Corbin's the perfect guy to beat clean and strong and have the little guy beat the crap out of him. He's been a bully the whole time. Plus, he's a member of the authority. Who better to beat clean than the authority? Because every week, Stephanie or Hunter or whoever can come out and say, look, you got to treat this guy better now. He deserves matches. That lost in count. And you get your, your deus ex machina it, and he gets his heat back. This way, it, it's just... We'll get into something else that's been bugging me of late, anywho, later. But it's just one of those things where it's like, nobody's winning strong and clean here. It, 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 Carmella defeated Asuka. Okay. Carmella... <laughs> Asuka, look, I loved the spot with James Ellsworth hanging from the cage. I did. I think James Ellsworth is a national treasure. But Asuka shouldn't be a moron turning her back. These are the greatest athletes in the world, WWE tells us. How come they can't be focused, ever? Head into the cage, one, two, three. Shinsuke Nakamura defeats Jeff Hardy, ball shot. Kinshasa, one, two, three. Randy Orton comes in, kicks Jeff Hardy in the balls. And he's going to tell us next week why he did it. I'll tell you why he did it. It's because Jeff Hardy came out and upstaged him during that U.S. title match that one time and won the title. Okay. Great. <laughs> this is going to be Randy Orton. Um, Bludgeon Brothers defeated Team Hell No. What is the story of this match? Daniel Bryan tries to overcome two guys bigger than him, turns his back, doesn't see a tag, gets beat. Because apparently competent athletes can't be focused in the WWE. Despite his friend being hurt. 
<laughs> Bobby Lashley defeated Roman Reigns. Decent match. Not the best match in the world, but a decent match. Bobby Lashley pins Roman Reigns clean. And it will be all for naught, as we saw on Monday. Alexa Bliss with Mickey James defeated Nia Jax with Natalia. Okay, great. We have four women fighting, and everybody's just staring at Ronda, waiting for her to jump the rail. Everybody was ahead of this already. So we have four women that we're not even using to get over the one. Why? What is the purpose of this match other than Ronda Rousey? I think announcing her at ringside was a mistake. If she came out during Extreme Rules and then said, yeah, but I wasn't suspended for this, it would then add to her having to be punished on Raw the next night when she came out. It was just, look, I understand you want eyeballs to the product. That's smart, at least. I mean, I'll give them credit for that. But, okay, I'm suspended. I'm going to get a front row ticket. Everybody knows what comes next. She's going to jump the rail. It'd be different if she didn't jump the rail. <laughs> AJ Styles defeated Rusev. Decent but not spectacular match. Aiden English ruins it for it, for Rusev by taking off the turnbuckle. I, I just, it was just... <sighs> and then Dolph Ziggler defeating Seth Rollins in sudden death. Now, there's been a lot said about this match already. I'm going to rehash that beating a guy in four minutes now puts the expectation that you should be able to beat a guy in four minutes every time unless you do the pinfall correctly, and they don't here. This is just a schoolboy leverage pin at almost full strength. Flash knockouts? Those aren't bad. We'll take those. Getting caught with a finisher four minutes in? It's not bad. Because that's been known to happen. This way? Stupid. And why didn't they give Dolph, or not Dolph, but Seth more pinfalls during the McIntyre beatdown? I thought they were going to be real clever about this. I thought they were just going to have Dolph and, and McIntyre beat the crap out of Seth for the full 30 minutes. Just, you know, just have... Seth win like 40 to nothing, like the promo, or 50 to nothing. Just just beat the crap out of him. And then and then eventually, you know, either Kurt stops it or restarts it or it becomes a Seth Rollins revenge piece or something to that effect. Instead, instead we get this. We get we get Seth Rollins choking away a 3-0 lead. We get a tie at the end. Kurt comes out, well, we don't want to see a tie here. Well, why not? You know, <laughs> why not have a tie? Oh, people will be upset. Oh, so you restart it. Drew comes out, distracts Seth, one, two, three from Dolph. And the same authority figure just doesn't restart the match again without the guy who was banned from ringside? Why not? Reward competency. That's all any viewer asks of any television show. Reward the reason I'm watching. Reward the rules that you create in this world. That's all they want. And you can't even do that correctly. And even commentary was inept that night during the Iron Man match. 
with a minute and a half left or so, Dolph decides he's going to hightail it out of there. And they say, oh, great, well, it'll be a tie then. No, it'll be a countout. Seth can roll back in and win the title. Why is he chasing after him? Let Dolph run. It was just, it was just infuriating top to bottom. And it's, it's even more infuriating just in the product as a whole. And here's where we're going to get into a little bit of character development. This is the 30th anniversary of the release of Die Hard, perhaps the most transcendent action film ever made. Now, to understand one of the reasons why it's so beloved is because it came at a time when a lot of people had fatigued of the action movies of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, two muscle-bound guys who always seemed to have an endless amount of bullets, an endless amount of testosterone, never got hurt, never got wounded, always beat like... 500 bad guys at once. John McClane, and Bruce Willis playing John McClane, is a guy with a certain skill set, but he is an everyman. He is a guy who is competent at what he does, but he is also human in some ways, which makes him likable. He has charisma when he does the wisecracks, but he never does something so completely stupid that you don't believe he could get couldn't get out of it. When he's on the when he's on the phone to oh what's his name? Uh the the guy who's doing the cocaine who's in there who thinks he can charm the bad guys. I can't remember his name right offhand. He knows that that guy's in trouble. Okay, he's not he's not just being flippant about. It. He knows the risks here because of his competency. It all makes sense. He doesn't say, "Oh no, no, no. You could certainly talk that guy into into uh, into not killing you. But that's how WWE would script. Now, why do we like Alan Rickman's character so much? Competency. He's, and his arrogance, and he has personality while he does it. He has bad intentions, but he has charisma to go along with it. He's somewhat likable. He's a charming rogue. We don't have a lot of those in our bad guys in WWE right now. Because competency is lacking in the bad guys. They have to cheat to win every single time. They have to go for the screwy finish every time. And if if you put one of those bad guys against a dumb babyface John McClane, who just, you know, all of a sudden he doesn't know how to shoot a gun, or he hears something and he gets distracted by it and gets killed, nobody's going to care about that movie. Nobody's going to ever care about that. And the other thing is, everybody kind of has their own little thing in this in, in this movie. They're just not bit players. They're, they, they have personality. In the same scene, or actually, no, in the scene where uh, Han shoots Takagi, right after that incident, the character played by Clarence Gilliard Jr. hands uh, Alexander, oh, the Russian dancer guy, I can't remember his last name. He was also in Ghostbusters. Hand, hands him a $100 bill. Okay, so they have a relationship too, and they have their own little thing, and they have their own little personality. These guys are all cookie cutters in WWE. I, I just, I, I don't get it. And overall, what is the use of getting hot as a character in WWE? Because there's nowhere to go but down. This is what is so frustrating to fans right now is that you get an act like Andrade Cien Almas 
hot as hell in NXT. He comes to SmackDown, he's doing 50-50, and he gets a decent but not spectacular showing against AJ Styles. Ember Moon just lost this week on SmackDown. She had been undefeated up to this point, if I recall correctly. She was a hot character. She was hotter than she ever was in NXT. She has a fantastic finish and a great entrance. That's really all you need in the in this modern-day WWE. And they beat her because she looked like a schmuck going up against two women because she couldn't maintain focus. This has been Becky Lynch's problem for ages. This has been Bailey's problem for ages. Sasha Banks is almost Teflon because she seems to be over despite being stupid all the time. What is the use of taking away the Intercontinental title from Dolph, not from Dolph Ziggler, from Seth Rollins? That guy, we were talking on this show, Rob and I, about him being the guy to beat Brock because he was such a hot act. And what did they do? Teamed him with Roman. Beat him for the Intercontinental title. And you can see his star started to fade. Braun Strowman, same thing. Kevin Owens, after the prize fighter gimmick, same thing. It's like you have nowhere to go but down at times. And it's just frustrating to ever get emotionally involved in anybody because there's only three people who can really win at a time. Nia Jax. Nia Jax was a hot babyface with this bullying gimmick. And they cooled her off almost instantly because Ronda Rousey came around. It's amazing. It's amazing that they don't... They don't see that you can still develop people while not having them be the person. The face of the division. Whatever. And they always use that popularity to then get that other person over. And it's just, it's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating to see. Dolph Ziggler does not need the Intercontinental title. He doesn't. I'm happy for him. It's given, this act with Drew McIntyre has given life to the character. But he didn't need the Intercontinental title. Especially when Seth Rollins is so hot. Have you heard the reactions he's been getting? They're chanting burn it down, which everybody hated that first week. And then the first, and then by week two or three, it became a chant. So, you know, what are you doing? And and then to top it off, we, we go to this Raw. And everything about this Raw. Look, the triple threats were okay. Don't get me wrong. But look, if you're looking for a number one contender to face Brock Lesnar, who you're turning the crowd against. You're turning the crowd against a guy who is getting you mainstream publicity because you think the title is important when the title isn't important. I mean, really, this this title's played hot potato for now going on two decades. And now it's like, well, we want our title defended. Oh, great more formulaic matches, but it's amazing to me they've turned him against Brock, and it's amazing to me they established a number one contender at Extreme Rules. It was Bobby Lashley. He had a strong win over this guy who was viewed as Brock's strongest challenge. And then yet 
we have to go through this rigmarole of triple threat matches and excuses for why certain guys should be in these matches. Why the hell is Elias in this match? Not that I don't like the character, but he's not all that deserving. You know, Roman Reigns got beat previous night. Drew McIntyre comes out and basically says his plan was to make Dolph Ziggler number two on the team so he could then go and go after the world title. <laughs> Why is Dolph Ziggler not out here as the Intercontinental Champion demanding that he get put in here for a shot at it? You know, or at least come out and say, you know what, Drew? Thank you for helping me last night. I'll give you this shot, and if you win, you give me a title shot. Something that rewards competency. That's all we ask in these types of things. And then they do these two triple threats just to set up Lashley and Roman again next week. Now, I think I know what they're doing here, and... It's been speculated a little bit, but I think there's even <laughs> there's even a, a worse thinking in the WWE right now. I think they think that Roman Reigns is a Shakespearean tragedy in some ways, or a Thomas Hardy character, where the fates have conspired against Roman Reigns as he tries to get this universal title. And it's just not coming together for him. So he's a tragic figure that we should all get behind. Oh, fate. Oh, how, you know, landing on his back on the cage at the world's biggest Royal Rumble or the greatest Royal Rumble or whatever the hell they called it. You know, getting to the point where where he was ready to fight Brock again. But here comes Bobby Lashley from the MMA world to, to thwart him. But... Oh, he got a second chance by being in these triple threat matches, and now he can finally overcome Bobby to face Brock again. And if they do Roman and Brock at SummerSlam, I guarantee you, Roman may win this match. But he's getting F5'd again, and Braun Strowman is going to thwart him again by cashing in. It's, it, it feels that way, and it's just... Who is buying Roman Reigns as tragic figure? Who feels sorry for a guy who, you know, and they even say it on their television, had everything handed to him. And yet we're trying to go through his steps as he shows you he can hit triples. You know, after being born on third base. It's, it's just gobsmacked at times. What else happened on Raw this week? Um... Sasha Banks and Bailey. What? This is a this is an angle that's going to backfire poorly, I tend to think, on the WWE, because it's gonna go one of two ways. If they are seriously doing a lesbian angle, depending on your definition of love. Number number one, WWE is not the company to do woke angles. They are not the ones to be out there, you know, about look how progressive we are in our storylines right now. Of every company, the, the only, <laughs> I mean, the, the company that gave you Saba Simba and Chuck and Billy and, 
and every ethnic stereotype under the sun, you're going to be the company that's going to try a subtle angle. Or it's going to be, oh, look, it's a swerve all along and I fooled you, which means somebody here's a dumb baby face, which isn't going to work for the feud overall. It's just such a trap right now. I was kind of hoping that, you know what? I love you. I accept the apology. Let's move on with our lives. Because that'd be a heck of a story to tell. That's a story people could probably get behind. Friends fight. Friends make up. And hopefully there's no underlying tension underneath. The problem is, if they told that story, then the obvious thing is the riot squad getting involved again. And I don't know. I, I tend to think the riot squad are good enough geeks. But who knows? Because, <laughs> again, Ember Moon lost. Clean. What? Well, you know, as clean as could be, but... You know, the the AOP, back on TV, but not special. They come out, they beat Titus Worldwide again. How many times do they have to beat Titus Worldwide to get out of there? See, it's one of those things where if you have guys on week after week, then the wins start to not matter. And the pattern matches, people get ahead of the patterns and they know which way it's going. So maybe, you know, once every once every two weeks. And then in between that, you tell a story or you do some build. It's not that hard, guys. It really isn't. Which goes to SmackDown Live, which was infuriating in its own ways. It did some better things in Raw, in my opinion. But you're leading off with AJ Styles versus Andrade Cien Almas. Why? It's a fine story that they wanted to tell. Andrade feels he's behind in his career. He issues a challenge. And he gets to face the champion. Okay, so tell the story. Not during the match. Tell the story and get to the match. But Andrade Cien Almas is pretty much done. He's, he's struggled against Sin Cara, and he had a good but not great match against AJ Styles. Do they think that that's going to sow seeds for later? Okay, but where's your faith in them to actually build up a slow program where Andrade Cien almost becomes a guy worthy of another title shot? It's not there. They never do that. They, they throw these guys out there week after week in tag matches or, you know, singles matches where they trade wins, and then eventually they do the blow-off, and then it's on to the next one. It, it's, I think the ascension of Becky Lynch has been fairly well done. I, I liked her promo afterwards. I like her. I wish they'd tap a little bit more into her natural personality because go to her, go to her Instagram account Wednesdays after SmackDown. It is the most delightful thing, her recap. It is. It fits her perfectly. And they kind of play into the more hyped-up character of Becky Lynch instead, when just being natural would kind of be good. Happy to see Samoa Joe back on SmackDown. Always a welcome presence to have some tough guy credibility out there. Didn't like how the match was set up, because... I can do without Archer's dumb humor. But it's a welcome, welcome thing. I thought the Miz, Daniel Bryan, 
angle was pretty well done, all things considered. I think this is what Miz is supposed to be a troll. And that's what he's best at. He's best at trolling. And then we got Jeff Hardy defeating Shinsuke Nakamura by DQ when Randy Orton came down. I I don't know. Because I, I think they're going to be doing... Look, Randy's going to be a heel here, but he's also going to heel against Shinsuke, which is going to kind of ruin Shinsuke's aura as a heel in some ways. And I think Shinsuke's doing a pretty damn good job during this time. I think Jeff Hardy is... Along with Matt Hardy, I think they should retire, quite frankly, because the nostalgia gimmick that they hold on to at WWE is gone. And it's obvious with the broken gimmick, they're not going to bring in what the charm was of the whole thing. The charm was they made movies where they didn't have to kill themselves with a lot of meta commentary in it, and it got over. Not to the point of drawing businesses, Joe Lanza will be quick to, to point out, but it got over in in terms of buzz. Maybe not business, but buzz. But instead, we're kind of stuck with this. So, Eric Young defeated Kofi Kingston. I thought that was pretty good. But again, it's another one of throw a guy into another guy, and then that turns out to be the pin. Not really the strongest way to get over Eric Young who is the weakest member of Sanity in terms of storyline, because he's the guy that always seems to take the pins. I, I, you know, it's just, it's, it's, why put your faith in anybody? They're not building people on this show. But when I come back, we're going to talk about shows where they are building people. We're going to talk a little 205 Live. We're going to talk a little NXT. You know, in my rush to crush Extreme Rules, I forgot to take my victory lap. Kids, if you didn't notice, I predicted the ending of Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens to a T. And the problem is I'm not happy about that because I also forgot to uh, talk about this match because it goes into something else. Kevin Owens right now also cooled down significantly. To the point where his gimmick is now fatty fall down. He's a Chris Farley movie every week. You know, he's... he's. Look at the seminal moments of Kevin Owens in the past 12 months. Jumping off of a giant hell in the cell. Getting thrown off of a ladder. Getting thrown off of a cage. He's Mick Foley. But without the goodwill of the crowd to get Vince McMahon to give him a, you know, title reign for a short period of time. It's very disturbing to me. I'm sure the checks are great. Don't get me wrong. My my talk is about how you take a hot character and there's nowhere to go but down from them. Look at all the hot debuts and within three weeks people just get tired of these characters. Go back and watch Bailey at Battleground, what was it, 2016? When she makes her debut? And that Washington, D.C. crowd pops like mad for her? And compared to how Bailey came back in September later that year, when Mick Foley brought her in. I think it was September. And then two weeks later, she's done because she gets beat like a geek. 
They just, they need to plan these things out. They need to keep people away from each other. And so we move on in the week in WWE. Gets a little bit better during 205 Live. I like what they've been doing on this episode. It seems they have some nice little pieces being moved around in terms of who's going to be the contender for the title. Because you have Buddy Murphy, you have Mustafa Ali, Leo Rush getting a nice little push here. You got Drew Gulak, kind of born-again hardcore. But then you get to this opening match, TJP versus Noam Dar. I like TJ Perkins a lot. He's been in need of a, of a new coat of paint for a long, long time. Problem is, you just brought Noam Dar back on your British specials and put him over half the tournament. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, okay, he gets a fluke win over TJP, and then you beat him clean the next week. Okay, he's done. Take him off TV again for two months and bring him back again. Because you're not going to be able to do anything with him right now. What is the use of that kind of comeback if you're just going to do this type of lazy, half-assed booking with him? You know, if he really is better and he really is a star, then make him a star. Don't make him a guy and then expect, okay, he'll be a great wrestler and people will get behind him eventually if he has great matches and they'll applaud and they'll say... This is awesome, and that'll make him a star. No. People gravitate towards winners and the people who they're supposed to care about. And if you're not supposed to care about anybody, then you get situations where Roman Reigns is the only guy that people expect to ever get anywhere in the company. I don't know. I like this Drew Gulak gimmick. I, I sort of miss the personality, though. You know, I, I miss the politician type thing. I get that he's now a badass. But that promo he cut, I loved that promo. I, that, that's an old school, 1980s style promo. Because when was the last time you heard anybody quote a song? You know, probably because WWE fears having to pay you know, residuals on it, but, you know, or even make a real cultural reference as opposed to whatever happened this week, you shoehorn it in to make it seem like you've been watching current events. This promo was great, and I love the squash match format for Drew Gulak. It will continue to make him improve. I don't really care for Kendrick and Gallagher being with him because I think it's just one of those things where then we turn it into the Lucha House Party again where it's like three guys nobody cares about. But I think Drew Gulak shows so much personality in whatever role he's been given, he will overcome it. And he doesn't need guys by his side to do it. I thought the vignettes by Mustafa Ali and Buddy Murphy were both pretty good in establishing them. Now all you gotta do is keep these guys away from each other. And you know the WWE mindset is, well, we'll have a fatal five-way. And we'll put together everybody who's relatively hot together and beat all of them except one. You know, it's just, it's 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 frustrating in some ways. And then we had uh, the Tozawa versus Leo Rush match. And I thought that was pretty good. I thought, 
I had concerns about Leo Rush, and I think he's going to be just fine. I think he has a certain... It's not a great charisma in terms of polished charisma, but it's raw. And it's really, really... There's a certain honesty about it when it, when he's on there. Even if he's doing kind of the cocky, shitheel, Larry Zabisco type of thing. And then his athleticism kind of belies it. He's almost doing a dandy type gimmick from Western tropes that we've talked about here before that we thought Shinsuke Nakamura would do, but not quite. But I thought Tozawa was the perfect opponent for him. I think that frog splash. Gosh, you just show that in vignettes on Raw and you put Leo Rush against Tozawa on Raw. Maybe you get a new spark in this 205 line. I know I look, I know you shouldn't put 205 live every week on Raw because the crowd craps all over it. But if you if you work towards a re-debut of the cruiserweights on the show, then it won't become a bathroom break match much like the women. You you have to establish that it's a credibility thing. You have to establish that these guys matter, and then you can give the good matches. NXT, by far, by far, strongest show this week on WWE. And it was a really good show, I thought. I thought it got a lot accomplished. Uh, Dakota Kai and Lacey Evans. Um, I'm a little bit higher on Lacey Evans than most. And I don't mean necessarily just pure in-ring work. I think WWE, and I'm hoping to God the reason she's a heel on NXT is because they're going to go completely the opposite way if she ever gets called up. Because Lacey Evans needs to be a poster child, PR, whatever, magnet for this company. She's a Marine. She's a single mother. Okay? Those are two things that they should be putting out there as part of both their military initiative and their feminist initiative, no matter how phony either of those are. But Lacey Evans, as a badass, ass-kicking mommy, is a money gimmick. It is something that you can put out there as a positive for a company that doesn't get a lot of press that isn't mocked. And I know people are going to say, well, she didn't work the indie. She's a product of the PC. Whatever. doesn't matter. This is the story that WWE needs to tell out there sometimes. You want to know how I know that? Because this is a very similar thing to what game shows like American Ninja Warrior do with people like Casey Catanzaro, who became a huge star on American Ninja Warrior. There's the, there's the third word. Bit of a pause there. My fault. But she became a big star in American Ninja Warrior, a lot because of her backstory, and a lot because she was just so darn good. And then, the, you know what happened then? The WWE took notice and signed her. So it all comes together. They should take cues from what other real television shows do, <laughs> especially the competition shows, and really tell these stories, because they tell them so well at least on NXT, that War Machine vignette was great in the same vein as the Mighty slash TM61's vignettes when Harley Race was on there with Roddy Strong's vignettes. 
where the hell is this stuff on the main roster? The film company, the major film company on wheels that they take around to different towns four nights a week. Instead, we're getting these lame cell phone backstage at an arena because you're getting in there at 10 a.m. for a 4 p.m. call for a 4 p.m. show type of things because they're bored as opposed to really planning maybe a film shoot somewhere in the locality and going there and shooting on location. The Street Profits vignette, little dated because they're still calling them TM61 in there, but it was a nice re-debut for them. They have a purpose. Keeps them on TV, even though they're not wrestling every week. They go on. Velveteen Dream, again. He's not wrestling every week on certain weeks when he's not there. Do these types of cool little vignettes that put over his personality. I liked this a lot. I think they're doing a lot of good things. And they'll all get thrown out the window once they go to the geniuses territory. But, again, I, and I think Dakota Kai, while losing, I mean, I think, boy, that, that Shayna Baszler program really damaged her a lot. And I know she's she's the type of female character they can't script. They can't script perky, white meat baby faces with any sort of development and any sort of journey consistently well from week to week. They had problems with Bailey too on, on the lower roster, and then they finally caught fire with the I'm tired of losing, and when she goes on a roll and goes through all her friends to get to Sasha again. But this character, Dakota Kai, the Bailey character, and I think the Jesse uh, Elaban character, the Jesse show, is going to suffer from this too. He's just perky and really nice, and eh, you know, it's like, it's almost like they have a contempt for good people, which is, which is also telling. Love the Cassius Ono squash. Good way to build him, but I think it's too late in some ways. But you need to make him a strong presence on your show. You need to build him up so that you can beat him again versus a guy you see more in. And this is the way to do it. Knockout, everybody gets impressed, puts him over. Great. The uh, the Champa Alistair Black video package. Very well done. Very, very well done. It gets me excited about a match where I'm only really interested in one of the participants. I like Alistair Black. I just don't think he cuts a very good promo right now because I think he's cutting the wrong kind of promos. I think they're trying to make the anti-establishment type guy a corporate suit, and it's not fitting all that well for him. You know, he doesn't, his is the character that doesn't need to show that he looks good in a shirt and tie and a coat. He can wear just the leather jacket and go on with his life. The EC3 promo, pretty good. Um, There's, there's a certain amount of camp to it that, that I don't care for particularly all the time, but I think he's good at what he does there. Uh, I'm still amazed by his tan. I, I really am. It's a little disconcerting, to be honest with you, because it's not a natural color in many ways. Um, and a uh, nice little, uh, nice little, uh, uh, oh, what was I going to say? 
Oh, a uh, cameo there by by UZH. I see you out there taking selfies. And then we got to the triple threat match. And I, look, as disappointed as I was that Bianca Belair was not in this match, I thought this number one contenders match was pretty darn fantastic. And it was brought down a little bit by Shayna Baszler's commentary. Although Shayna, it's weird because Shayna's voice really doesn't project that well in terms of when she's kind of trying to give herself heel heft. But I did like the, uh, I did like the interplay with, with Morrow about, uh, what did that, what did the match against Nikki Cross teach you that I can beat her? Boom. Perfect. Gets her over as a heel. Uh, I loved Nikki Cross when Shayna came out. I thought that whole waving to her and (laughs) look, she's crazy. Let's keep consistent on the craziness. I liked that. Um, I, I, I will continue to put over Kyrie's look here, especially going more tan. It makes her look more adult. Doesn't make her look like a child who's playing wrestler. Doesn't make her look like an aw China Cupid China Cupid doll type of thing. Um and these three gelled well together, I thought. And you know, being veterans you'd expect that. And I think Bianca being in this match may have brought it down a a, a bit. Two great jobs by the camera people and production people here. Uh, the first one is that that close-up of Nikki laughing in the middle of the match where there's that little trickle of blood coming out of her nose. I thought that was a great move by them. Even though they didn't plan on the, the blood, it was still a great time for a close-up shot there. And then the end where Candice... Candice is trying to pin... Nikki and Kyrie comes out of nowhere with the elbow on top of her. I thought that was a really well-produced spot. And for all of their choreography, there are times where the television hits a moment where you go, yep, that was great. And that was one of those. And I'm looking forward to this Kyrie-Shayna Baszler match. I really am. I think, I think they have to belt Kyrie at some point. But I also think that it just depends on what they're going to do with Ronda right now in the main roster because you can use Shayna in many ways that way. And if Jessamine Duke is coming along as well as <laughs> as well as Dave says she is, then then maybe they, they're going to use those two down in NXT so that they don't draw away from Ronda Rousey at that point. But we'll see. Now, apparently on Monday, Stephanie McMahon is going to announce the all-women's pay-per-view. As the creator of women's wrestling, I look forward to her taking full and complete credit for this as well. Um, But I think Ronda really is your only draw here, which makes it a one-person show. I don't think it's going to do that well on the network. It's not like Mae Young Classic killed in the ratings for views on the network. I thought it was a great show. And maybe they'll use some of the talent there that they're pretty much going to use as talent fodder in the tournament to do this. You know, your Mercedes Martinez, your Rachel Ellerings, Mia Yim, you know, really give people who haven't ordinarily had a showcase a showcase as opposed to say, well, we need to fit Lana and, and uh, who else? Uh, 
Carmella, although she's your women's champion on one of your brands. You know, you're gonna have you're gonna have a Ronda Rousey match. You're probably gonna have a Charlotte match, and then you're gonna have to do your best with the rest of these people that you have cooled down since. My God, just going back to my rant earlier in the show, the four horsewomen had magazine profiles in every in in Rolling Stone. I think they had one in Vogue. I think they had one in Sports Illustrated. And then look what you did with that. And then look what you did in the follow-up. And then look what you did to one of the four horsewomen when you didn't think she was cosmetically appealing. It's... Oh, oh, how I hope things turn around soon. Because I don't like being like this. But I appreciate you all listening. This is Shake Them Ropes. You can follow me on Twitter at CrapGame13. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. You can follow Voices of Wrestling at Voices Wrestling. I don't tweet that much, so maybe you should follow Voices Wrestling. In the meantime, while I get my new job up and running, and then I can start making random tweets about wrestling again. But I appreciate you all listening. I love you all. See you next week. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.